The scene shifts back, still in the flashback, to the exterior of the rear of the Wayne estate the following day after Batman beats all the crooks at the warehouse. Alfred is holding a newspaper as Bruce is practicing jiu-jitsu in his Komodo tags, togas, togs. I don't know what that word is. He has a bandage on his forehead and some facial scratches. I read about your anonymous exploits this morning, and I must say, are you sure you won't reconsider rugby? Bruce is posing and throwing punches. He frowns. Sorry, Alfred, but the plan is working. I had the edge. I could feel it. There was only one thing wrong. They weren't afraid of me. I've got to strike fear from the start. Let's see. Pardon, Master Bruce, but we may want to postpone the shop talk, as it were. I believe you have a visitor. And as Alfred moves away, Bruce cranes his neck to see. Let me tell you, folks, that's not easy to do on one foot with the arms extended, but Bruce does it nonetheless. And from his point of view, we see Andrea. She's heading their way. Oh, hi, Bruce. As she walks up, she notices the bandage. Well, what happened to you? You trip over some loose cash or something? You know, boy, you're so rich and all. That's not in the script. I'm sorry. It's just so funny. Oh, <laughs> it's my rich and all. We broke, boy. We broke this up. They got a we point. We broke it in one of them game systems you go up to in the mall, and then people at the Boosby sale and be like, yeah, yeah, the 475 guns yeah, yeah, on one yeah, card yeah. and 55 of them yeah. are actually 52. Yeah, we broke yeah. it and catching the missing number in Pokemon Blue. I mean, money. Am I right? Money. Get it? Money? Oh, I get it. Because we don't got it. I mean, no, I don't got it. But I get it. We, we just, let's just Let's just stop. Production right there. Let's set up stand up right here. Out, out, Alfred, set up the mocks. The mocks are set up. We're trying to do something with them already. Just stick to the script. Briggs Elton. Okay, okay. Well, I'm going to continue doing my moves as she looks around, getting away of the land. What are you doing here? It's been three days since we met. I'm still in our cars. Boy, I feel you must be dead or something. You expect every guy you meet to call you? Oh, no, the one smart enough to dial our phone. He almost loses his balance on that one. He quickly recovers, scowling, and throws a punch. Krakatoa. What was that? Jiu-jitsu. Jiu-zuntai. You speak German, too? Let's check it out. Krakenwagen. That means taxi cab. It means ambulance. Whatever. It's what everybody rides in after I get through with them. Why as well be a taxi cab. Anyway, jiu-jitsu is no joke. It takes years to master. He thrusts his fist. Yeah. But as his fist shoots out, she comes out of nowhere to block it with one hand and twists his arm. I... I've got a few moves of my own. Miss Hover's self-defense class for girls. Looking up at her, Bruce cracks a smile and starts chuckling. Andrea looks at him in mock astonishment. Oh my gosh, she laughs. Suddenly, he sweeps his feet, tripping her onto her back. Whoa! Flat on her back before she can blink. Bruce suddenly has her pinned down, nose to nose. She looks up at him as they both break out in playful smiles. Nice footwork. Can you dance too? Just then, Alfred steps out of the mansion with a tray of refreshments. Oh, sir! I am not the biggest thing. He sees the two of them on the ground and then uh, makes an abrupt U turn, heading right back into the oh, house oh, again. Oh, oh, what oh, is oh, that? Oh, oh. Come here. Oh. I mean, I'm a few minutes late, but. Crap. I'm ready for my big debut. I'll invite this guy. In where, where the supermodels? Supermodel? What are you talking about? Well, I'm here to play the Salvatore Valestrot. Cholesterol, whatever his name is. That is who I'm here to play. But if you're not going to do this part, then I'll do it. Okay, look, dude, we, we probably weren't going to do this part. We're probably going to be like, okay, let's go back and hit this part later. And then just not do it. Look, I heard the trailer, okay? Now, there was nudity promised in that trailer. Are you just not going to deliver on your promises anymore? Uh, no. We don't deliver on any other promises. Probably deliver on this one. Ah, uh, you said nudity. Cool. Now, now who is this? Were you going to let somebody else stand in on my part? Huh? Huh? Now, look. If you still want me to be a part of this thing, I can't be wasting my talent on some hack meatball. Okay? It would ruin my reputation as an actor. You want me to do this? Gonna have to get a supermodel or Velma from Scooby Doo. Velma from Scooby Doo. She don't want anything to do with your ugly hot head. She said it herself. Without her glasses, she can't see a thing. He's absolutely right. right. Guys, guys, can we please just get back on script here? We're not doing the scene. What? No, no, you know what? 
I can't take this no more. This cloud comes waltzing in here thinking he's just going to hold the set. No, no, the cloud hasn't made it yet. What? It doesn't matter. You're right. He's not a cloud. He's what you get when you are a juggalo off wish.com. You know what? You are so lucky. There are ladies present, so I don't beat your rooty two carcass up and down the streets of Bakersfield. There are no ladies here, you idiot. You scare them all off. Yeah, whatever. It's you that scares them off with your, your smell. <gasps> and, yeah, and, and your overall just assault on people's sensibilities. Whatever. It has to be you. I mean, it ain't Ben Traver over there. He's the sole reason we had to keep the ladies off the set. I mean, they flock him like the Beatles after a concert or something. The guy's a freaking party animal. Are you serious? Ben. Ben Traver. He doesn't even party. He just stands there with that stupid guitar and the ladies jump around him and dance. Yes, exactly. He could party without moving a muscle. You are so dense, I swear. It has to be you and your ugliness. You know... You are so comparable to the other guy. Okay, there it is. Yeah, there it is. That's how it's going to be. Then you're jealous. Of what? Of of me kissing countless supermodels all over the globe. Oh, please. You've probably never even left the state. Yeah? The state of being beautiful? Yeah, well, well, me neither. And I will have you know that I have been fishing in the Sierra Nevada. Well, I'll have you know that I don't even know where that is. Yeah, well, I'll have you know. Dad, I bet you're still jealous anyway. Yeah, well, do you think you could give me tickets to go sometime? Why don't you ask your mama for tickets? Well, I see somebody has invested in Uncle Rico's placebo comeback home video instructional tape for learning. Well, that's where you're wrong again. Because I pirated it off the electronic internet. Could we... Lady? Can we please get back on script? We've wasted so much time. I am running out of tape on the tape machine. Crap! We're going to have to switch to another spool soon. Okay, here I go. Scene flashes back to the interior mansion present time back at the party that Bruce is throwing. He's at his fireplace in the den. And just then he hears the door open along with the distant off-key plunks of a piano. Alfred steps in. Pardon, sir, but Miss Bambi is dancing on the piano. Oh, Brucey, where are you? Bruce's eyes roll in a pained expression. As he heads toward Alfred, we dissolve to the exterior of the cemetery that same night. Camera catches an owl as it pans over the spooky grounds. The owl's eyes sparkle as it hooves and takes wing. Leaves are blown across the road as the limousine pulls up. Camera close up on the door. Door opens. Another gangster. Buzz Brodsky gets out. Though he's 60-something, the guy's a brick wall. He holds up a flashlight which he flashes around. Doesn't see anyone or anything. Then he reaches back to pull out a black wreath, and then he glances at the front seat where his two bodyguards, driver and passenger, are looking at him. Bros, you guys wait here. No problem, Mr. Bronski. Passenger bodyguard looks a little nervous, and his eyes start darting as another owl hoots. Hey, driver man, did you hear? They say the bad ice, this guy. I know. We're now at Chucky Saul's gravesite. The flashlight beam hits the gravestone. It reads... Chucky Saul, 1943-19-dash-dash. Beam doesn't hit the last two numbers. Tsk, tsk, tsk. Chucky, Chucky. The wreath is tossed down. You always were a loser, bro. And then he hears it. Buzz. Buzz Lightwood. Who's there? Show yourselves, bro. Don't make me ask twice. Just then, the phantasm's death had emerges from behind the grave, as if rising from the underworld. Donald Dapper He ain't gonna get it on oh gosh, the angel of death. He, he ain't gonna get it right. Get the other dude to go in there for it. I hung on Buzz Lightyear. I put him down. What's my mother doing? Who the heck, bro? Uh, it is time, Buzz Brodsky. Get away from me, you freak. Buzz runs to the graveyard. As he dumps into a wheelbarrow with the digging tools, including a digging fork, shovel size. He drops the flashlight and picks up the fork. Appropriate SFX. The camera switches back to the phantasm who backs into the mist as Buzz slices the fork through the mist. Ah, uh, I can Uh, no. He connects with uh, excuse nothing. me. No, no. Suddenly uh, from no, behind no, he stop, hears. No, no, stop, stop. No. I, you can't be doing that move. That is my move. I invented the talking roll. Well, that is my move. You can't you, you, you go, I'm going back in to do it, all right? What now? Okay. Hey, uh, before, we, before we start again, I, 
All this is mist that old Bart Chuckler over there is letting off. It's really bad for my lungs, and it's it killing hey. my voice here. And uh, I think uh, I need to go outside and uh, take a smoke break to get some fresh air. Let go. What do I look like? Your mom? <laughs> you know who else he looks like? My mom. <laughs> oh, Lord. You'd please just shut up and we just get on. The look. Turn off that mist machine over there. I, it's making everything. I can't even breathe in no, here. No, absolutely not. It makes things more realistic. I have a vision, you know. I don't see how. I can't see nothing with all this. Can you hear me? Where are you? Where is the door? <coughs> Where's the door? Oh, dang it. Who left the Legos on the floor? I can't see nothing with all this freaking mist flying around here. You know what? Screw it. I'll take the smoke break later. The, uh, the, the, the fork that, that Buzz... Bronsky, it connects with nothing, and suddenly from behind him, he hears. Eh, uh, it's time to pay for your sins, Mr. Bronsky. Bronsky turns to see the phantasm behind him. Again, he swings, but the phantasm is too quick, uh, ducking uh, back into uh, the mist. Tell him, tell him to move again. Sure, he, he does the tuck and roll. No, no, the hot dog. Sorry, he does the hot dog. That's more like The phantasm backs up, leaving a trail of mist in his wake. Thus charges forward, ready to throw the fork like a javelin. All right, creep. Catch this! But as you just heard, as he was about to throw it, he fell into the mist as if the earth had swallowed him up. Buzz screams in surprise as the camera goes back to the bodyguard still in the car. They're already looking in the direction of Buzz's voice. Come on, we gotta find the boss. They rush out of the car. Camera goes back to Buzz, who's coughing. He just dissipates. Dog machine. He suddenly realizes that he's lying at the bottom of a deeply dug grave. The rope hangs down the side of the pit. Camera changes to the phantasm's point of view. He's looking down at Buzz from the foot of the pit. He steps back off screen. Camera goes back to Buzz, looking up angrily. He sees the rope, grabs hold, and starts to climb out. On the other end of the rope, we see that it's tied to a lever of some sort. We're not sure what yet. Although as the rope is tugged, the lever ratchets into another gear, and suddenly we hear a grinding noise. Camera pans wider to show that the lever is on a dump truck piled high with dirt. It's parked almost flush to the side of the grave. Buzz has just pulled the lever that is causing the rear to upend, spilling the dirt into the grave. Camera goes back to Buzz. He's pushed back down by the dirt. Insert SFX. He suddenly realizes he's in big trouble. And little child. I love that movie. I just got a pretty good idea. What? You know that part of the movie where he cuts the knife in the sun? This is good now. Goodbye, Mr. Burton, and then throw it back. Well, maybe in this movie, he said, Goodbye, Mr. Bronski. Goodbye, Mr. Bronski. And then he dropped the grave on him. Gee, let me think. No. That is a good idea. We are not doing a big trouble little China bit. No. No. Goodbye, Mr. Bronski. We're moving on here. Let's go. Say it again. Say it again, but say it again. Ah. Goodbye, Mr. Bronsko. See, it's talking right out of script. It's like he's meant to be there. Hey, he does have a point, bro. Shut up and get back down in the grave. It's too late. I've seen it now. It's part of my vision. I'm seeing some visions too and all this. <coughs> Going around? Can you please just hurry it up? Wanna unplug this stupid machine? You know, now that I think about it, was having him unplug the machine take it into an isolated room, close the door, and then plug it back in. Part of your original vision? Uh, good question. Uh, no, but as the Ninja Turtles teach us, change happens. And, uh, also he was giving me cheeks, so, uh, let him choke. No! Stop! Help! By now the dirt is up to, uh, Buzz's waist, and it's still pouring in. He claws at the sides of the grave. Camera switches to the bodyguards as they approach, guns in hand driver leads. From another angle, the grinding abruptly stops a split second before the bodyguards step into frame. They look ahead in shock. Now the dump truck's empty, and the camera pans down to show that the pit has been covered in an enormous mound of dirt. Top the mound is the black wreath intended for Chucky's grave. Sprouting from within it, like a grotesque flower, is Buzz's contorted hand. The camera switches back to the bodyguards. They're taking in the sight when suddenly they hear footsteps. They spin around to see top of crest, the phantasm, silhouetted by the moon behind him. He turns to take one last look back. From the flow of the cape, you'd swear it was Batman. It's the bat. 
It's the stinking bat! And he starts firing like crazy. The phantasm swirls his cape and disappears behind the ridge. We dissolve to the exterior of the old brownstone the following day. The windows are covered with wrought iron. Even in the morning light, the place looks dark and foreboding. We go to the interior of old brownstone in the study. An old skull-faced man is seated at a tray in a large shadowy den sipping his tea. This, as we are to learn, is Salvatore Valestra, ex-mob boss. Camera closes in on him. When he opens the paper next to his tray, he reacts in shock, dropping his fork full of grapefruit wedges. <laughs> paper reads, second gangster slain. And then the subheader, has bats gone bats? As you can tell, Valestra's a smoker. It's a friggin' fog machine. Oh, yeah, uh, we switched scenes. You can, you can unplug that thing. No, I can't. Leave it plugged in for uh, authenticity's thing. No. <laughs> no. Kippy. He throws down the paper in disgust and horror and fumbles around his tray in the sides of his chair trying to find something. He pulls out a portable oxygen inhaler and brings the mask up to cover his nose and mouth. He starts taking big gulps as he lays his head back against his chair. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the picture of a troubled spirit. The scene cuts to in the interior of Commissioner Gordon's office, a high shot at sunset. Gordon sits at his desk as Reeves points a dramatic accusing finger at him. What do you mean you won't? You have to go after him! He didn't do it, Reeves. You've got two eyewitnesses, Commissioner. Reeves reaches over and grabs polygraph papers from Detective Bullock. He flings it at Commissioner Gordon dramatically. And they're polygraphs! What more do you need? It's all garbage, Mr. Reeves. Outside on the windowsill, Batman's crouched down, eavesdropping. He ain't happy. Batman does not kill. Period. Gordon's at his door about to leave. Are we going to have to have the crime and justice, justice and crime talk again? I didn't think so. So if you want him, you go get him. But I'll have no part of it. Then the commissioner opens the door. Camera zooms in on Reeves and the other cops. Looking in Gordon's direction, the door slams, causing a couple of the cops to flinch. Not Reeves, though. Not Reeves. Gordon's impertinence only serves to bolster his misbegotten resolve. He turns to the cops. Well, gentlemen, any ideas? The scene cuts to the exterior overcast night sky minutes later. Suddenly, the bat signal flashes in the sky. Hold for a beat. I said, roll it over, homie, cause I'm feeling kind of bony. I asked for rigatoni, and they bring me a bologna mm. with a plate of macaroni and cheese on the side. Little bulls. Call me yellow pages cause they think I'm kind of phony. What can I say at the top of mighty lonely? Little bull. Uh, thank you. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. Hey, I got another verse. No, no. I, well, I mean, it's pretty good. It's, pretty, it's like, it's something like, they say I like the scales, the hip hop hop. Well, my friend named Pop's at the top of the charts. And then, and then it, it, it goes into something like, like, he's setting up chop shop, breaking it down, instructional tapes, getting that sound. All the rappers gotta read, they work for upside. But man, not me, cause I can't write. A Jimmy Jimmy Bimmy Swimmy hit Kong Pile. I made the crap up, but you can't guess how. I hit like Lee, I push like Chan, and smooth as peanut butter hit Mom Peter Pan. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, and then I do some, some, uh, some, some, yeah, bulls and some what? And, and then we put it on the computer to make it, you know, like, sound good. Okay, uh, anyway, the camera's on the police rooftop on the bat signal spotlight. The police we saw below were looking in all directions for Batman's arrival. This includes Reeves, who smiles wryly as Bullock checks his watch. Camera goes to the bat signal reflected in the Batmobile's outside mirror. Camera pulls back to include the exterior road as the Batmobile barrels toward the camera away from the city and the bat signal shining above. We wipe to the exterior cemetery an hour later. Scene of Buzz Bronski's demise now surrounded by yellow police tape. Slab has been propped up by chains on a crane-like vehicle. Pan over to Batman bended on knee and we hear him talking before we see him. There appears to be some sort of chemical residue on the lawn. Camera closes in on Batman and we see that he's speaking into a mic wired into his utility belt. It makes me wonder why he's speaking like that gray-haired dude on Dateline. You know, the one that's always stirring up crap. Anyway, uh, he picks up a tuft of grass as he speaks. It has some grayish specks in it. Could match the traces I found in the canister. Not much, but it's been that kind of day. Okay, seriously, dude, you gotta stop. You're, you're Batman, not, not the Dateline guy. But he's the world's greatest detective, Kmart. 
You know as well as I do that that means he pokes his nose in places that it doesn't belong. Hey, I'll tell you what, if this job don't work out, you're going to have to go work at the pen store. Because you're seriously stirring some crap up. But am I really? I mean, come on. Really? Oh, jeez. As Batman clicks off the mic and slips it back into his belt, he notices something off screen. Or so he says. But when police went back and... No, no, the- no, 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 no. Sorry. He does see something. He, he sees the Wayne Monument from Batman's point of view, softly lit by moonlight. Camera's on Batman as he rises and steps toward it, and then the camera goes to the monument. As Batman steps up to it, he touches the marble softly. A solemn moment broken by the voice of Andrea. You thought that could afford a rebuilder. Andrea is kneeling, tearing weeds around her mother's tombstone. Sorry, Mom, but the whole world's gonna see. At that moment, Batman's shadow moves in. She looks up with a start. Ah! Camera close on Batman. You can read the surprise and anguish in his face. He steps back. Camera's on Andrea, rising with a similar look of stunned surprise. The weeds fall from her hands. No. It can't be. Still backing up, Batman finally turns and bolts, disappearing into the darkness. Camera closes in on Andrea. He's gone, but she keeps looking, wide-eyed and stunned. She realizes intuitively that he must be, he has to be. Bruce? Seeing changes to the exterior of the Gotham City Sheridan Hotel. Nighttime. A brand new luxury hotel. Andrea's staying here. Camera pans vertically up to the top floor where we see a restaurant whose picture windows offer a panoramic view of the city. In the interior of the restaurant, in the main dining room, the matter D leads Andrea and Arthur Reeves to their elegantly set table. Reeves follows close behind Andrea, who isn't paying any attention to him. So as I'm having the banker cut through some red tape, he says he can roll your money into a higher-yield account. Amount? Uh, what amount? I said account. The matter D exits as Andrea forces a sheepish smile. Oh, shoot, I, I'm sorry. I was just reminiscing. As a waiter steps in beside the table and hands Andrea a menu, Reeves smiles indulgently. Hey, that's okay. You must have a lot on your mind. Hard cut to the exterior of a cathedral across the street. Continuous shot on Batman. He's perched atop a buttress, partially concealed by a gargoyle. From this windswept perch, Batman is spying on Andre and Reeves through his miniature binoculars. Lightning streaks the sky behind him. Thunder rolls. I'm not doing Goth Brooks. Camera goes back to Reeves and Andrea. Remember this place? Sure, you mean Daddy used to come here all the time. Reeves turns from the waiter back to Andrea and nods understandingly as the waiter exits into the background. How is the old guy? You're still close, aren't you? Oh, please, watch me while I smile warmly. Yes, we are closer than ever. Camera goes back to Reeves. He flashes a grin at Andrea. It makes him seem insincere as he says, I'm sorry he couldn't make it into town this time. He reaches across the table and places his hand on hers. But then... I've always wished I could have some time alone with you. The camera goes to Andrea, who looks up, half-smiling. It's hard to read her, though she doesn't pull away. Well, uh, who knows what the future might bring, Arthur? No, 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 that part's... No, no. That part's not till later. Okay, well, uh, the, the camera goes back to Batman. We see a reflection of their clasped hands in the binocular lenses. Batman's head moves back from the binoculars. Camera pushes in on his face. Sad, if not in despair. Thunder rumbles in the distance. We continue pushing in with the camera. And the thunder keeps rumbling louder and louder as we segue to Bruce's and Andrea's hands. Flashback scene. We don't know where we are yet, but it's outdoors. It's daylight. The rumbling continues. Camera trucks out to reveal the clasped hands belong to the 20-year-old Bruce and Andrea. Above them is a monorail track. Suddenly, a monorail rumbles by. They look up at it and at each other, smiling happily. Then we get a series of shots, a montage of Bruce and Andrea. Camera tracks with them as they stroll over Gotham World's Fairgrounds, Gotham's version of the 1939 New York World's Fair. A voice resonates through the PA system. Welcome to a dream. This is a bright tomorrow with the hope of promise for all of mankind. This is a vision of shivering Tokyo, where we all live the rest of our lives forever. We follow 
follow them, holding hands and exchanging loving glances as they visit the main plaza where we see a beautiful globe of the moon next to an Art Deco Buck Rogers-style spaceship poised on three scalloped fins next to the moon. Jeez, that was a mouthful. This is Gotham's version of the Trilon and Perispheres of the New York Fair. I don't even know what you just said. Well, do you want me to go back and, like, redo it or something? No, for it is all part of my vision. Continue. The camera angles in on the Ford to the Future ride. The younger Bruce and Andrea hurry into a gaily colored ride pavilion. The sign reads, Ford to the Future, presented by Cybertron. Camera follows as Bruce and Andrea scramble into a car, which takes them past a fanciful diorama of It's a Small World-style doll children all singing about the glories of life and the future, set in a model city of the future. Some of the children are riding in autogyros, one-man whirlybirds. That's what an autogyro is, for those of you that didn't know. Like me. Camera closes in on Bruce, looking as if he'd rather be any place in the world, but right here, right now. This is definitely too cute for him. Andrea looks at Bruce and makes a face, showing that she doesn't like the ride either. They hold their ears and grin. The car passes by an ultra-modern Gotham apartment of the future. A life, good lord, thank you. A lifelike android housewife chops plastic vegetables in her kitchenette while her android husband reclines on the couch next to his android dog. Husband looks up from his paper to wave to the riders. The camera cuts to the interior of the Hall of Transportation, a vast high-ceiling pavilion open at the sides, with columns supporting the roof, through which the fair's monorail track passes. Over the visitors' heads, models of one-man autogyros flutter about the transportation exhibit. Insert SFX. Bruce and the younger Andrea stand before the track, holding hands as they look up at the monorail train zooming by. You really think we'll see any of this in our lifetime? Even as she speaks, something catches Bruce's eye and he steps away. She turns to him. Camera goes to a prototype for a jet-powered car. Quick cut. It's mounted on a pedestal. The sign identifies it as the car of the future. Bruce steps to it, drawn by the rear jet thruster. Shades of the Batmobile. Andrea steps in behind him. Wait, wait, I am here. Wait, Brian, I have arrived. Yes, that is a time. What are you doing here? I am here to play the Sorry. I am here to play the role of the robots that think about the future in the past. You're too late. What? What do you mean I'm too late? You're too late. Your mama is too late. Oh, real mature. Well, at least it looks like he invested in Uncle Rico's placebo comeback homostructural videotape for Lardy. That's right. I did invest in Uncle Rico's placebo comebacks home instructional videotape for learning. It's a big success in the future. No, that's what I'm talking about. Fine then. Can I play the phantasm in the past? No, that role's filled too. Uh, yeah. Let this guy play it. He's cool. No, <laughs> you're playing him. Uh, oh yeah. Maybe the phantasm in the future? No, dude. Sorry. Well... Why is the size of the instead of the car in the past that looks like the one driven by the man that lives in the cave with the bats? That's the whole point. Look, just go in the back room with your fog machine or something. Fine. If anyone needs me, I'll be in the back room with the milkshake running my fog machine. What I just said. Make sure you shut the door and keep the machine on. Oh, thank the Lord. Someone open. No, don't shut the door. <laughs> Holy crap. Anyway, uh, Bruce is... On the future Batmobile prototype-looking thing, and then Andrea... What? I got me an idea. What? But you know that guy just come through here with that crazy star guy looking through the caca thing? Yeah, I said, we, we, we go get him to that fire machine and be like, thousands of years ago in the future past, there was a stuntman meatball that did the tuck and roll jet-powered. And, and then I do the tuck and roll, make the face look like I'm farting. Holy and, crap, and we turn on the fire machine, and it look like I'm zooming through there like a jet engine. Uh-huh. And we take that on the road. And we rich, boy. Then I've got to do this movie. That's got to be the best thing I've ever that heard. That has to be the dumbest, most idiotic idea I've ever heard in my entire life. At no point during your rambling, incoherent idea did you say anything of value. Everyone in this room... Is dumber uh, came on. for listening to what you've just said. Came on. Came I award on. you no points. Came on. Came on. May the good luck. Came on. Uh, I, I think 
think you may have your scripts mixed up here, buddy. We're, we're not doing Billy Madison right now. Um, I think it's a good idea, though. We should, let, let's give it a whirl. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? No. And don't you even try to pull that vision crap with me or I'll hit you so hard you got double vision. Just say your line, dude. Just say say the line Andrea says. Just say it. Well, okay. You ain't got to yell at me. But, but do repeat what you just said because I was daydreaming about the fight machine and all the money we're going to make off of it. And I didn't quite catch what you was getting at. Say your line. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Bruce, Bruce, I, I'm talking to you, Bruce. Camera turns to Bruce. He's jolted out of his reverie. Huh? Oh, oh I'm sorry, Andy. I, my mind was just on something else. You see, I've, I've got this vision. Oh, my goodness, Bruce. I've got a vision too, boy. It's about this jet propelled meatball fly around the circus with a fire machine coming out of his butt. And it looked like he's farting, but he's not. He's really just flying. And he's getting all the money because they're throwing him all the tips. They call him the amazing stroganoff. Your brilliant vision has just given me an idea. Don't you To dare. make a jet-propelled car no. that fights crime. No. And is modeled after a bat. No, no, no. That is not how the Batmobile comes around. No. Just no. He hasn't even seen a bat yet. What script are you reading? I'm, I'm not. I can't read. Well, how, how about you quit improvising and stick to what we're supposed to be doing here? Oh. Sorry, dude, I got carried away. Sorry, uh, take 12, whatever take we're on. Just take it. We're taking it. We'll take it all. Take it all. Bet the farm. We'll, we'll take it. Any, anyway, uh, uh, what I'm thinking about you might ask, Andrea, I'll just, you know, the future. Oh, my goodness, how clever, Bruce Batman. You. Let me smile playfully. Uh, anyone's future in particular or just the generic brand? Camera cuts to a high angle of the fairground exit. Camera follows Andre and Bruce as, hand in hand, they pass through the turnstile and exit into the parking lot where we see Bruce's limo waiting, conspicuous among the more modest passenger cars. Oh, you'll know. Sue boy. No, I don't. When was the last time you talked to me about your plans? Camera's on Bruce's limo. We see Andre and Bruce step into shot, approaching it. We see Alfred standing at attention beside the driver's side door. Uh, you know, Dad's been wanting to miss you. Bruce looks pained, but catches himself. Oh, yeah? She looks at him out of the corner of her eye. She says this little number. But I, I told him you weren't up for it yet. I, I mean, I, I can meet him. Oh, that's great. I'll call him right now. She heads off screen toward the limo, leaving Bruce standing nonplussed. Camera's on the limo. She's seated inside the open back door, dialing a number on the limo phone. This is before cell phones, folks. She looks up at him as she puts the receiver to her ear. You sure about this? Feigning a smile, uh, well, what's a guy to say? Oh, yes, absolutely. Sure, I'm sure. Mostly. I'm sure. Alfred steps in beside him. What the heck am I doing, Alfred? This isn't part of the plan. Plans change, Master Bruce. Like, for instance, you were supposed to set up the airplane joke by saying, surely I'm sure, instead of sure I'm sure, and then she would have said, my name's Andrea, not Shirley. Don't call me Shirley. But you didn't, so just roll with it. Bruce shakes his head in confusion. Y'all, you're driving me nuts. No, there's not a joke there. I mean, no, I must be going nuts. If I may be so bold, sir, I'd say quite the reverse. The scene dissolves to the exterior of the Beaumont's office building in the daytime. Beaumont's office is a tall building on a wide avenue in Gotham's Riverside Financial District. An auto and pedestrian bridge can be seen behind and to one side of the building. The scene cuts to the interior of Beaumont's office, the angles on Beaumont and the younger Reeves. Mr. Beaumont, an imposing-looking businessman in his early 50s, sits behind his dark mahogany desk and looks over some papers. A younger Arthur Reeves stands to one side of Beaumont and offers him another file. Sir, sir, if you, if you could just go over these. Knock, knock. Beaumont glances up and instantly brightens as he sees his off-screen daughter. He adjusts his tie with one hand and pushes his work aside with the other as he makes ready to stand. Reeves looks slightly honked at being so easily ignored. Ah, well, this is the most pleasant interruption. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute! <laughs> Are you trying to tell me that you gave the role that I wanted to that butt-headed freak over there? No, 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 he's, no, what? no, no. He is not butt-headed at all. See, this, this is a uh, butt-face 
Beaumont. Very different from what you're trying to say. Ah. Uh, hey, baby. Yeah, yeah, how you doing? I, look, I don't understand. Well, look, over in La La Land, where you live, maybe you could call anybody anything you want and not get the pants suit off of you. But here in reality, we got a little thing called typewriter. Holy crap, you still use typewriters? We, we've upgraded your Microsoft Word where I work at. Oh, you poor soul. I believe he's referring to copyright. Yeah, there's a little thing called copywriter. So whether you like it or not, he's butt-faced Beaumont, pal. You succubus on the rocks. When were you going to tell me that I didn't get the role that I applied for? I wasn't. Were you leading me on? Uh, no, but this, this I didn't know either. But this guy showed up and he was free labor, so that's what he went with. I can't begin to tell you just how bullcrap this is. You know, back in my day, we had a thing called crime and punishment and punishment and crime. And when a man didn't pay for his contract, he had to pay with his... No, 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 no. We, we've already done that that bit. Fine, fine. You know what? I'm, I'm just going to shut up and go back in the closet here and let your little freak show go on while I can't breathe for another three weeks. Hey, hey, hey. You hear that? Hear what? You just got a wizard. Oh, shut up. Moving on. Andrea beams at her off-screen dad as she stands arm-in-arm with a nervous-looking Bruce. Beaumont walks into shot as Andrea gently nudges Bruce forward. Ah, and last I meet the elusive Bruce Wayne. (laughs) Bruce awkwardly takes Beaumont's offered hand. Nice to meet you, sir. You called me sir. (laughs) Ah, Andreas told me so much about you. I feel like we're practically family now. Andrea shoots a disapproving glance at her father, as if to say, Watch it, Dad. Donald! Mother! Donald! Don't you talk to Bruce right not roll? Reeves deliberately clears his throat and gathers up his papers. <clears throat> Don't mind me. I was just leaving. Camera zooms out wider. As Reeves walks by Andrea, Bruce, and Beaumont, the latter nods toward him. Ah, uh, Bruce, this is Arthur Reeves. He writes letters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's a very fun skill to have. You know, I wish I could write less. Uh, like, he brought a pencil, so give him something to write on, man. Outside of the office building, a black sedan pulls up to the door. Camera faces the driver through the front window. Looking up at the building, he is a lanky, vestigious character in a slouch hat. We'll refer to him as the tall man. He turns back to look at the man whom he is driving. Camera shifts on the back passenger window. Window slides down to show a smoky interior. The smoke quickly dissipates, revealing a younger, by a decade, Sal Valestra, with a cigar clenched in his maw and an ascot tucked into his overcoat. He is the picture of a gangster Buddha. The tall man's hand reaches up to open the door for him. Camera cuts to the interior of the Beaumont's office. Bruce is seated in front of the father, who looms over him as he half sits on the edge of his desk. Andrea is off to his side. I, uh, I hope I'm not interrupting anything here. Uh, no. I'm, uh, never too busy for Andy and her friends. <laughs> Good Lord, it's enough that he's chuckling. Why are you doing it, too? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you've been doing it this whole time. I thought some was funny. It kind of weird if I wasn't laughing. I mean, people might think that I don't get the joke or something. There's no joke to get. You, you know what? He's the joke. He's an idiot. Hey, just, just stop laughing. Uh, let me tell you, Bruce. Money and stuff is important, but, like, not as important as family and stuff. Are you kidding me? <laughs> there was, like, a whole freaking paragraph you are supposed to read. You know, okay, so after Buttface Beaumont screws up his entire line, uh, Bruce responds with this. Yes, Mr. Beaumont. Uh, call me Buttface Beaumont. You guys really suck. Uh, just then, we hear a buzz from his speakerphone. Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, but there's a Mr. Valestra out here to see you. Beaumont winces upon the word Valestra, and he turns sharply away from Andrea with an almost fearful expression. And then Mr. Valestra steps in. Without waiting for an invitation, Valestra swaggers in like he owns the place. Beaumont's attitude is subdued, almost cowed, complete about face. Eh. Uh. If Mr. Valestra says he has an appointment, then Mr. Valestra has an appointment. That's what I like about you, Pops, kiddo. 
He knows his priorities. Lester sits on the edge of Beaumont's desk and helps himself to a cigar. He grins knowingly at Andrea, who is clearly appalled. Camera fast dissolves to the exterior of Beaumont's building, tracking with Bruce and Andrea. Flashback continues. They emerge from the lobby and start down the sidewalk in the direction of the intersection where the street feeds into the bridge. Is my shirt too big or is that my flesh crawling? Camera's now angled on the sidewalk up ahead on Valester's black sedan. It's parked at the curb. Bruce and Andrea move past it. We see the tall man standing outside the sedan now, bent forward to get a close look at his reflection in the passenger side mirror as he brushes the corner of his mouth with his finger. I thought that Mr. Valester has that effect on people sometimes. Tall man notices Andre in the rearview mirror. His eyes widen. He straightens up and gives Andre a provocative leer. Oh, what was that? That's my uh, Homer Simpson impersonation. Gee. Andre keeps her eyes straight ahead as if she hadn't heard a thing. Bruce, however, turns to look off in the tall man's direction, like he'd like to give the guy a pitchfork enema. Tall man glares back. No love lost. Camera's tracking with Bruce and Andrea as they continue walking. Bruce still glaring off. Noticing this, she reacts. Oh, come on, Bruce. Uh, that'll just count some money. They don't tell him where it comes from. It's not your father, Andy. It's it's it's, 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 it's what? Did you count? No, no. It's. I mean, I wish I could count too, but no. It's it's everything. Just then they hear. I said, hand over the cash box, man. A few feet away, there in the shadow of the guardhouse, we see a street vendor. A guy selling handcrafted jewelry off a black velvet draped card table. He's being harassed by three burly, leather-clad Hell's Angels type. First biker's on his feet, bike parked in the background. He's grabbed the vendor's metal cash box, and he and the vendor are playing tug-of-war with it. The other two bikers remain astride on their hogs, watching. On the cut, the second biker dismounts and then kickstands the bike and starts toward the vendor, menacingly. Give him your bikes, just so help me. I'll mess your face up so bad. You'll be breathing out part of your hair like Rack Road doing a dabber on Jake the Snake Roberts. Bruce starts loosening his tie, his other hand clenching into a fist. Stay put, this could get serious. Andrea reacts, alarmed, as he starts forward, but she stops him, clutching at his arm. Well, Bruce, no, don't go. It's too dangerous. What do you expect me to do? Just stand here? Oh, that's true. I mean, uh, now she put it that way, uh, you gotta go. I mean, I don't, I don't gotta go. I mean, you could still talk me out. No, 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 no time you for know, words. You gotta get out there, boy. I mean, You're gonna can, die. I, that's like an ice cream shop down the street. We could go there. I ain't got no stand, time for ice you know. cream. Go for your mom. Crap. Okay, here I go. By now, the second biker has come up behind the vendor with a blackjack and smacks him across the back of the head. The vendor lets go of the cash box. Ochi. And the first biker is able to take it from him easily. Camera goes to a new angle. The vendor falls, crashing into his card table. The table collapses, flattening and scattering the vendor's wares off screen. The vendor rolls off as Bruce comes running into the fray. First biker turns to find himself face to face with Bruce, who headlong runs into him, leading with the shoulder like a linebacker who doesn't know how to arm tackle. First biker drops the cash box. It goes crashing into the pavement but does not break open. Camera goes to a new angle. Bruce grabs the first biker and Judo flips him into the river. Camera closes in on Bruce. His expression hardens. Eyes straight ahead as he puts himself totally into the now of the task. All we hear is his heartbeat. Steady. Not racing. His brow is smooth. His expression serene. He is the water wearing away the boulder drop by drop. The bird carrying away the mountain pebble by pebble. His entire being is focused on his foes. Be there three or a thousand, it makes no difference. Except... His eyes flicker and glance to one side. Cataract focuses to show Andrea some distance behind him, watching anxiously. He can't see her, but he knows she's there. Just come back to me in one piece. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I didn't say any of this crap. I said we don't got time for this. Go get the man. Well, we're going with the script. Camera refills on Bruce, his brow now furrowed, his concentration no longer pure. At another angle, two bikers approach menacingly. One swings a tire chain, the other snaps open a switchblade. Better have your insurance paid up, sucker. Then the biker starts making a really annoying whooping noise. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Camera intercuts on Andrea and her reaction, watching from a distance, horrified, jamming her knuckles into her mouth to keep from screaming. 
Camera goes back to Bruce. He delivers a high pinwheeling roundhouse kick, kicking the blade out of the second biker's hand. The knife goes skittering off screen, but before Bruce can regain his balance, the third biker leaps up in a clumsy but effective flying sidekick that hits Bruce in the midsection. Oh, that impacted my groin. Uh, that actually says impact groan. Whatever. Bruce slams into the wall of the guardhouse, taking the impact across his shoulder blades. Then the camera goes to the second and third biker. They beat a hasty retreat. The second biker snatching up the cash box. Get the box. Go, go, go. I gotta get to town to buy the Jesse the Batty ventriloquist down. Bruce gets to his feet somewhat woozily and charges off screen. Camera changes angle to include the bikes. The bikers leap onto their bikes and kickstart them. Bruce runs into the shot. And then another angle of the camera, Bruce leaps for one of them and just misses him. Two bikers roar off. Woo! Later, ladies. Camera goes back to Bruce. Concerned looking Andrea steps in, drops to one knee beside him as he sits up. Thank goodness you're all right. I, I was so frightened. What are you talking about? You'll say to go get him. Bruce is seething, clearly angry at himself or her. Andrea, somebody. Andrea tries to touch his face. Come on, l- let me have a look at you. Bruce annoyedly brushes her hand away. Andrea, please. He scrambles to his feet and moves off. Camera holds a beat on the startled Andrea looking after. Then, it dissolves to the interior of the Wayne Manor at nighttime in Bruce's study. The flashback continues. Bruce sits with a sketch pad doodling for a beat. Then he stops, looks up out the window, brooding. I mean, it is the 90s. People brooded. The camera switches over the shoulder of Bruce to the sketch pad. It's a figure study of a man in a skin-tight uniform with a long, flowing cape pinned at the shoulders. Basically, the bad... Bad man. What? The bad man. Very different from what you were about to say. It's the bad man costume, but without any of the bad-like touches. No scalloped bad wing effect on the hem of the cape. No fins on the gloves. No bad-eared cowl, etc. That's like the opposite of of good-eared cowl. Anyway, continue. The camera goes back to Bruce. He stares down at his drawing a beat, and his brow furrows with disgust. He rips the drawing out of the pad and crumples it up. What am I still doing this crap for? Alfred appears in the doorway behind Bruce, silently. Bruce doesn't yet realize that he's there. Now Alfred listens to him, as if he knows exactly what Bruce is talking about. Bruce pounds the arm of his chair as he speaks. It's gotta be one or the other. I can't have it both ways. I can't put myself on the line as long as there's someone waiting for me to come home. Miss Beaumont would be glad to know you feel that way, Master Bruce. Bruce turns to regard Alfred incredulously as the butler picks up the telephone extension on an end table. The pickup button is flashing. Andreas' call is on hold. She's holding on line one, sir. Alfred holds up the phone to him. Bruce leaps up, recoiling as if the butler were holding out a handful of snakes. Alfred, I can't. Not now. Bruce grabs a jacket hanging from a doorknob in the background. Camera goes to Alfred. He looks on as Bruce, wearing a troubled expression, moves past him. What shall I say? I don't know. I just don't know. And Bruce takes his exit, slamming the door behind him. Alfred reacts startled, then he recovers. He looks after a beat, clearly disappointed. Off which we wipe to close up of Bruce in the night somewhere else. Can't tell where yet, but it's outside. The background is dark. Distant thunderclaps are heard, and lightning flashes illuminate Bruce's face in staccato bursts as Bruce says, It doesn't mean I don't care anymore. I don't want to let you down, honest. But, but. It begins to rain. We pull back slowly, revealing Bruce in the jacket we saw him don in the previous scene, huddling against the cold, dressing someone off screen. It just doesn't hurt so bad anymore. You can understand that, can't you? The camera continues pulling back, revealing that we're in the exterior of the cemetery, nighttime, the Wayne plot. Bruce is standing before the monument to Thomas and Martha Wayne. He gestures in supplication as if pleading a case to them, trying to persuade them. Look, I could give money to the city. They can hire more cops, let someone else take the risks. It's different now. The camera takes a close-up on Bruce, a wet rivulet running down one cheek. 
the rain, or is he letting himself feel? Please. I need it to be different now. He drops to his knees, clasps his hands in his lap. I know I made a promise, but I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. Bruce leans forward, clutching the large grave marker like he's gripping a man's shoulders. Please, tell me that it's okay. Maybe they already have. Bruce reacts, eyes widening, and whirls to see Andrea, standing a few feet away near her mother's grave, holding an umbrella as she steps forward out of the shadows toward him. And we truck out to include Bruce and Andrea. Maybe they sent me. Bruce rises and just stares at her for a beat, and then they embrace. Bruce's eyes squeeze shut and a single tear streams down his cheek. Camera dissolves to the exterior of the cathedral, present time, close on Batman. Still perched here, rain is now pouring down, dripping off his face in cow-like tears. The blimp motor from above catches his attention. He looks up off screen towards the source of the light that is spilling onto the frame. Camera's at a low angle. Police blimps overhead, quick cut. It drifts lazily between sheets of rain, sweeping the area below with searchlights. Camera fast wipes to the exterior, Gotham Street, daytime, it's the next morning. Arthur Reeves is walking briskly along the sidewalk, overtaking other pedestrians and avoiding puddles from the night before. Camera's at a high angle tracking with Reeves. It follows him for a beat and then suddenly he stops dead as a black limo screeches into view right in front of him, emerging from an alley and cutting him off. Camera goes to the limo, the rear window slides down to reveal a much older-looking Sal Valestra, beckoning to him. No cigar smoke this time. No fog machine either. Reeves steps into the shot, approaching the car. Get in! Camera takes a new angle, favoring Reeves' quick cut. He looks around to make sure that no one is watching and then goes to the interior of the limo. Reeves crawls inside warily and sits beside Valestra as the unseen driver pulls away from the curb. All I want to know is... Is it true? It's the bad man. Whoa, whoa. Bad man. What? Uh, a bad man. Uh, Who cares? What are you talking about? Uh, it's part of that typewriter crap he was telling me about earlier. He, he meant copyright. What a freaking idiot. Very different. I don't care. From what, okay. I don't care. Okay. Look. Is he, is he hitting that people or not, dog? With a grim expression, Reeves nods. There are eyewitnesses. Camera goes back to Valestra. His features contort into a mask of fury. Beautiful. That's just beautiful. Why? He never leaned on us before. Look, I am 60 or 70 years old, and I do not need this. Uh, don't you mean 30 or 40 years old? No, I do not. You see, he is a completely different milkshake than the one that you are actively engaged in a conversation with at this very moment. See, he's pistachio-flavored, and I am contractually obliged to be vanilla. So if you would, just please back off. Reeves gives Valestra a withering look. I suppose you could demand police protection. Through the following speech, Valestra begins to gasp, spittle forming at the corners of his mouth. What are you, a comedian? This is the bad, the bad man we're talking about here. A freak job. He'll crucify me. Camera widens out to include a portable oxygen tank leaning against the seat back. Lester lunges forward and grabs the mask, clutching it up to his face as he frantically plucks at the valve, cranking it up to full. Reeves leans forward toward the partition separating the back seat from the driver and knocks. Pull over. Camera closes in on Reeves, giving the off-screen Balestra a sidelong glance, clearly unnerved. It's not very healthy in here. Camera wipes to the interior of the Batcave, main computer station. Extreme long shot. Batman sits at a keyboard inputting data. And then... O'Neill Funding Corp. Adam's tool and die. I should have known. Sir? Chucky Saw and Buzz Brodsky. They have some history together. Camera is on Alfred. In the weapons area, he is polishing and fencing foils with an oil cloth. He looks up, cocking an eyebrow in keen interest. They were partners at Dubby Corporation, set up over ten years ago. Camera widens out to include Batman. As Alfred steps toward him, during the following, the screen shows a database with a highlight moving down a list of names to hold on the name 
Valestra Salvatore. The third director was one, Salvatore Valestra. The name gives him pause. In his expression, we see a flicker of recognition. Camera goes to a new angle on the Batman. I've been saying that this whole the Batman and Alfred. Batman rises, turns to go. Angle adjusts to include the Batmobile waiting in its turntable. Sal's having company tonight. Don't wait up. Batman strides toward the Batmobile, and Alfred, still with foil in hand, steps back into the weapons area. Meaning I trust that once you're done with him, you'll be seeing her. Batman steps up to the car, then stops, turns around to shoot Alfred a sharp look. You think you'll know everything about me, don't you? Alfred gives the foil one more wipe with the oil cloth, and then on the word sir, jams it into the sword rack with an irritated scowl. I diapered your bottom. I bloody well ought to, sir. Well, you're wrong. That was the sound of the canopy closing. I had me pulling back that handle that shoots the fire out the back. Why? We're low on budget again. Uh, okay, yeah, we could definitely tell. Uh, anyway... It, uh, hang on, wait, wait. It, it was still a neutral. Okay. Couldn't you tell by the, by the noise? Anyway... <laughs> that was in Okay. The camera goes to stock footage of the rear of the Batmobile. The afterburner flares, or flared, and the car started off. Alfred disappointedly watches it go. Scene wipes to the exterior of Balestra's townhouse at dusk time. Camera starts on the Badmobile, parked in semi-concealment in an alley behind the building. Then the camera pans over to frame a fire escape outside an upper floor window of the townhouse. We wait a beat, and then we see the bad shadow inside, moving across a window. Scene changes to the interior of Balestra's townhouse and the study on the desktop. Camera holds a beat on various papers, personal documents, strewn over the blotter. Blue-black gloves are thumbing through them. They're the gloves of Badman. He looks up and scans the room. Camera widens as he grabs a gooseneck desk lamp. He tilts the light up toward the wall. He looks on the wall at a single photo, Lestra and a nightclub singer, spotlighted in the pool of light from the off-screen desk lamp. Camera holds a beat, and then it pans over the wall. The lamplight revealing in turn lots more photos of Valestra. Valestra and Mayor Hill. Valestra and Union Chiefs. And finally, we hold on one more picture revealing Valestra and Chucky Saul and Buzz Bronski and Carl Beaumont, Buttface Beaumont, all seated together at a restaurant, all smiles, pouring and toasting champagne. A fifth figure, the tall man, is a shadowy shape at the picture's edge. Camera goes back on the bad man reacting with widening eye slits. You can almost see his ears twitch. Camera goes back to the wall photos. This is like an old Spice commercial. It's just going everywhere. We push into the frame with a smiling, butt-faced Beaumont, his white teeth filling the frame, which lightens and whitens as the following fades up. You know how much I've always wanted to see you, Bruce. Dad has business to And then the camera pulls back the white dolls to slate gray of an overcast sky. We see that we've gone back 10 years again as we Segway to the exterior of the rear of the Wayne Estate at sunset. Flashback again. A rocky promontory far to the rear Wayne Manor. We see Bruce and Andrea in silhouette strolling along. The surf pounds below. That's some sort of hush-hush deal. I mean, he won't tell me a thing. Shoot, he won't even tell me when he's coming back. Will you at least let me try to talk you out of it? Bruce, wait, please. Camera favors Bruce as he looks down at her blankly for a beat as if trying to figure out what to say. Silence. And then, ah, oh, never mind. I'm no good at this. He rummages in a pocket and then pulls out a velvet box. Crouches to hand it to her as, here, you'll get the idea. Camera favors Andrea as she opens the box. Inside it, an engagement ring. It has a diamond big enough to choke the proverbial horse. She seems tongue-tied, but it's only the shock of the moment. Well, what do you say? Of course I will. Through the following, we hear what sounds like seagulls chirping. First softly, but increasingly more intense. Bruce holds the box for her and takes the ring from it and slips it on and admires it a beat. I never thought this would happen. I was felt like, look, I, I threw you a curveball. 
I just never know what to do with me because I wasn't in the plan. You are now. I've changed the plan. Travis suddenly erupts with an explosion of bads, forcing Bruce and Andrea to stagger back. Bruce throws a protective arm over his intended as they look up in awe at the bads that keep coming, swirling in a great vortex, blanketing and darkening the sky. It's as if hell had blown open. Crazily fluttering bads filled frame, blacking it. Take a beat and then camera fades in on the exterior of Gotham Suburban Street on a mansion at nighttime. The flashback continues. The home of the obviously well-to-do Beaumonts. The Wayne limo pulls into the long driveway and makes its way up the circular drive before the front door. As the limo pulls up, we see that there are already two cars out front. Scene goes to the interior of Wayne's limo. Andre and Bruce sit behind the liver-eyed Alfred. Andrea notices something off screen and reacts with puzzlement. Uh-oh, looks like he's got company. From the silhouette on the curtains, we can see that Buttface Beaumont has clients in there, conferring with them across the desk. Business top company. Bruce senses her unease. He usually doesn't see clients here. At, the, uh, at least not at this hour. She bites her lower lip. Camera goes to the exterior of the limo. The right rear door opens, revealing Bruce and Andrea. He leans forward to hold the door open for her. Maybe we should wait till tomorrow before we give him the good news. Maybe. Good night, Bruce. Alfred. Camera's now on the front door. We see the tall man in a fedora leaning against a column. He's using a cuticle remover. Andrea passes through frame on her way into the house. She ignores the tall man as she passes him. He gives her an admiring leer. <laughs> Yo, hermanos. You know who else gets admiring leers? Nope, nope, we don't want to know. The camera moves to the interior of the limo, moving down the drive as Alfred pulls away. It tightens in on Bruce, staring back hostily at the tall man. The tall man senses Bruce's hot stare. He looks back in the off-screen direction of Bruce, and he sneers. Off which the camera wipes to the exterior rear of the Wayne estate on the crevice the next morning. It's still the flashback. We're on the crevice from which the bats burst earlier. There's a painter's ladder propped against the side of the shaft. He's one bad mother. Mamma Jamma. Shut your mouth. Look, I'm just talking about shaft. Well, I guess we can dig it. Hear that shaft. Quite. <laughs> oh, good Lord, I fell right into that one. On the cut, a flashlight beam plays over the ladder. Then Bruce, dressed in wet shirt and jeans and holding up the flashlight, rises into view, calling out as he climbs the ladder. It's another cave, all right. Could be as big as the house. As Bruce rises out of the pit, he sees Alfred standing there, brow furrowed, the expression clearly one of sadness and dismay. In his hand, he holds a small package wrapped in brown paper. Judging from the number of bads that came out of it, uh, Alfred, what's wrong? It's just arrived, sir. Bruce takes the package and stares at it a beat. A puzzled expression seems to say, what the heck does this mean? Then he tears the package open. Paper falls away to reveal the ring box. Dear Bruce, letter taped to it. Camera resumes on Bruce. He can't believe his eyes as he scans the note. Left with Dad. Who young? Need time. Forget about me. The note slips from his slackening hand and flutters off as his face contorts in sudden sorrow. Bruce throws back his head and howls a classical Greek theater earth cry. No! The camera hard cuts to the interior of Bruce's study. Close up on the portrait of the Waynes, the flashback continues. Bruce's parents stare at us, stiff, formal, unsmiling. We pan away to frame a window, then push in, and the camera dissolves through to the exterior promontory on the crevice. A continuous shot. The camera descends into the hellhole turned and twisting around rock formations, becoming lost in the darkness. Then the camera dissolves to the interior of the main cavern, the future bad cave. The camera continues panning down stalactites, stripping limestone tears, as if this were all one shot. The camera ends its pan on the bad cowl, draped over a dressmaker's form in the foreground. Alfred steps in to pick it up, and the angle adjusts as he turns to hold it out to Bruce. He stands in the shadows, wearing the rest of the costume. He takes the cowl. The camera goes to a new angle on Bruce. His back is to us as he puts on the cowl, and then he turns around, eyes glowing demonic. Even the imperturbable butler is taken aback. My gosh. His master solemnly moves past him. He is now someone else. A creature of dark and terrible. 
camera dissolves to the interior of Lester's study on Batman in the present. Batman takes Beaumont's photo from the wall, slips it under his cloak. He moves to the open window, and in a swirl of his cape, he is gone. Camera wipes to the exterior of Gotham World's fairgrounds at dusk. It's a close-up on the globe. The once beautiful globe of the moon, the glistening centerpiece of the fair, is now a rusted hulk. A white-stained roosted place for pigeons. Camera pans down across the now-abandoned and rotting fair exhibits and picks up another antique. Sal Valestra, pulling up in his dark sedan. Car steps in front of the now-dilapidated World of the Future exhibit. A few sawhorse barriers have been set up to keep people out. Camera gets closer on the sedan. Door opens of Lester wearing a top coat and slouch hat warily steps out. In one hand he carries a briefcase, in the other he holds a small oxygen tank and takes a deep breath from it to bolster himself. Lester lowers the mask and looks nervously towards the exhibit. Oh jeez, if that was just some out of way. The old mobster edges around the barrier and hobbles into the exhibit. Camera changes angles to the phantasm, watching cautiously from a nearby vantage point. Camera changes to the interior of the exhibit. It's dark. Lestra makes his way hesitantly through the darkened exhibit. All around him, strange gnomish shapes are seen clumped together in the shadows. Lestra pulls his collar tighter and takes a few steps forward. Suddenly, the lights flash on, revealing the old mobster standing in the midst of the world of the future ride. Only now, the doll-like audio animatronic puppets have taken on a freakish look thanks to the rust and decay. The dolls spasmodically jerk to life as a quavering, badly-pitched tape of the ride's formerly peppy theme song is heard. Suddenly, gunfire opens. Ah! The song is obviously over, but the gunfire continues, at least momentarily. The animatronic dolls are obviously destroyed at this point, but whoever's firing all the shots puts another one in the last doll just for good measure. Very shaken, Valestra looks toward the source of the gunfire. There's a tall, thin shape in the shadows of a tunnel. His eyes grin, smoke rises from his gun. Then as he steps out of the tunnel, the malevolent clown tosses the gun away. I hate that song.